So welcome to On Death. It's a podcast where we explore the oftentimes taboo topics of death, dying, grief, and love. You know, we come here to offer a place for people to listen and for us to gather where we can share our experiences around death and dying. We really aim to encourage and support a healthy relationship with death and to move from a culture of mostly death denial into a community focused on living life, you know, fully and, and alive. So my name is Matthew and I have Tom, my co-host. Tom, hi. Hey. <laughs> hi again. <laughs> well, today we've got uh, Jordana Jacobs joining us. And Jordana is, uh, she is a clinical psychologist and she studies the relationship of love and death, which is such a beautiful combination and I'd imagine inseparable to some degree. So really excited to, to get into that. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks so much for, for, for talking with us and taking time from your day. It's, it's really special. So my Sure. <laughs> yeah. So love, death, which came first? <laughs> um, you know, I think you, you already hit the nail on the head, Tom, with the sort of inseparability of the two, you know, they're so, um, so intertwined in my book. Um, with the idea really being that the more we can open to the inevitability of death, the more we can also open to love and connection. Um, and in a world in which we're terrified of death, um, we often shut down and close off to death. Um, and I mean, even as I'm saying this, I don't know if you can hear it, but there are sirens going totally. by uh, where I'm staying in, in LA. And it's such an interesting time to be having this conversation. Um, and by interesting, I don't mean it in a, I wanna stay away from being too conceptual about it. I mean, this is real. This is the sirens are still going, right? And probably every every 15 minutes almost where I am, I'm hearing a siren uh, in LA considering how, how surrounded um, we are by death right now. It's a particularly hard time to open to the inevitability of death because it's so scary. Mm. Um, anyway, I got a little sidetracked there, but... Oh. Um, <laughs> You're hitting the nail on the I, head. <laughs> I love, I love that. I, I, I have a question about that. You know, mm -hmm. be, because death is obviously so around us, even more now because of this this period of time, and it's not as unusual for us to hear it, like in the news or in social media, where so often before we didn't hear death and dying as, as much. Right. So now it's more like in this frequency that's getting plugged into our, our eyes and our brain. So in, in one way that 
can start the conversation, but there's not a lot of, of these, of these healthy conversations, right? It's mostly, um, fear, fear-based conversations. And I'm, I'm wondering what, what are ways like, you know, if in, in your, in your practice, like, is it coming up more and how are you letting, how are you talking to people about, about death in a way that isn't completely frightening? It's such, it's such a good question. I think it was the question I was struggling with and uh, working through even before COVID. Um, but now it's just, it's so heightened. Um, and, you know, to be honest, I don't really feel I have an answer for that yet. What I've been thinking about a little bit is um, it feels to me like we're in this prolonged like psychedelic experience where we're still in it and i haven't yet been able to integrate yet um Mm. and integrate everything's changing all the time to the point where i haven't yet figured out how i'm going to take everything that i'm learning each day about death being so much more present into um, the way that I'm talking and thinking about death. It's so present for me that mm-hmm. my fear is activated too, in a way um, it's honestly never been before. Mm. Wow. And so I, you know, I was just working with um, a healer that I work with about once a month right before coming on this. And he was like, Jordana, you're living it. This is your research now. Mm. I feel like before this, I was writing about death and talking about death and doing meditations about death. And now I'm now myself and, and all of us around, around the world are sort of together in this experience of having it be much more conscious for many of us. I mean, for some of us, it's, it's been very conscious before, but for many of us, this is our first experience of really being surrounded by it in a way that we can't ignore anymore. Mm-hmm. And yeah, to be totally honest, I'm still working through it. <laughs> uh, welcome to the club. <laughs> and in that way, I feel like I've actually made more progress in my research than ever before. Mm. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that beautiful answer. And thanks for being so open and transparent about it. It, it reminds me of um, when Ramdas was was writing his book on on aging and it was like I, I believe around the same time he he had his stroke he was like here i am mm-hmm. writing a book about aging and then all of a sudden i aged you know <laughs> um mm-hmm. yeah it's just it is a fascinating times like because it's just so um on the screen and and in our faces so it does seem like There, there, there's a lot that we can learn if we decide to learn something from it, or we can stay in this anxiety and, and fear. Mm-hmm. Right. And it is so conceptual too in nature to us, um, particularly in, in the positions that we're often in in the West where it's death is out there. And if I'm hearing you correctly, that's where your work was more before is like, oh, yeah, I'm contemplating this. I'm feeling into this and, mm-hmm. and the concepts are there for me. I, like they're, you know, their structure 
to all of this. And all of a sudden now it's, Hey, Hey, uh, death, we're here. And you're like, screw the structure. Everything's out the door. Yeah. And so what has that done? Have you looked back on any of your previous work in this time and, and seen how it's shifted based on where you're at now? Yeah. I mean, I think I've been like, I know nothing, (laughs) (laughs) you know, Um, and that preparing and talk, you know, sort of preparing for death in a way or preparing for death to arrive or knock on the door um, is a very different experience than it, than it arriving, Mm -hmm. you know, and even for me saying it arriving that that's not even that accurate because I'm sitting in this house in LA. I'm not in the ambulance that's, that's going by. Um, I, I do believe that my work prior to this time was too conceptual. Mm -hmm. And I think I was doing death meditations where I had one person lie down and another person sit up and hold their hand. um, And you, would imagine if you were lying down that you were dying and you were holding the hand of someone you loved and vice versa if you were you know holding the hand of someone you loved uh that was dying and i think that's the closest i got to uh helping people touch that experience of impermanence but like all of my talks and all of that like i'm rethinking everything Mm. wow yeah yeah that's that's i mean beautiful and and i can see how those those meditations that you were also leading it it got you to that point to then say okay well now what's next right because let's face it most people probably have never done that sort of conceptual meditation. And I think for most people now to do that would probably be really helpful. Like I saw, you know, um, Tom shared a video of, of you speaking on, on death and love and you did a death awareness exercise. Mm-hmm. And in the exercise, you know, you have people draw a line and birth and death and where you are in the middle. And what, what were some of the questions that you said, like right here, like uh, reflect, uh, if you want to share some of those questions right now? Yeah, sure. Um, so the exercise is a um, death prime used in the psychological literature to just bring into our conscious awareness that, um, you know, this is a finite experience that we have. <laughs> so when you draw the line, you know, a horizontal line. Um, sorry, vertical. I always get confused. Horizontal, horizontal line. I guess it doesn't matter. Um, but you have the awareness that there is a beginning point and an end point. And then um, you draw a slash mark where you think you are right now. And, um, you know, we obviously have no way of knowing how much time we have left. But the questions that follow or that I usually ask are like, how much time do you think you have left? And uh, with that time, what do you want to do? Who do you want to, who do you want to be? And what's, what's most important 
to you. Mm. And I actually really think like in the middle of this sort of psychedelic journey of time bending and, you know, every, the world turning upside down, I think it is a massive death prime for us. I think death has come into our conscious awareness. Um, and a lot of people are still in that place of fear um, and rightfully so, so including myself. Um, so it's very hard to sort of open to the possibility of what's next when we're feeling so protected um, or that we need to protect ourselves. But I do think that it's been this uh, great clarifying experience for many people where everyone is, everyone I know, at least on some level, when you can move past the fear for one second, lift your head up above the clouds and say, okay, what is really important to me? How do I want to live? Where do I want to be? Who do I want to be with? Um, because all of this stuff that I thought was permanent is not. Yeah. And you shared, um, I believe it was from Frank, who used to be part of the, was it the Zen hospice? Mm -hmm. And he has those two, two questions like, am I loved or who, who loves me or something like that? Am I loved and did I love? And uh, at the end of the day, those are the only two questions that really matter. I love that. I mean, Frank is just like, <laughs> you know, a, a wizard with those questions. Am I loved? Mm. Who loved? So how, how much of those questions do you feel like you have answers to right now, Jordana? Personally? Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were asking me, Tom. <laughs> if we might go there. <laughs> well, we should. Maybe we should all answer that. Yeah, sure. Right? If those are the questions that really matter, like where, where are we? with those right um you know i i think even a precursor and this is going to sound kind of cheesy but I, I really think it's true to that am i loved and did i love question is do can i love myself you know and i think that's actually where i am right now like working on that self-love um so that I can really love other people and let people love me. Mm. Yeah. Tom, how about you? I'll go last. I'll lean, I'll lean out. <laughs> <laughs> I'll lean in. Uh, um, hmm. I love that journey that you're on, Jordana. It's I, I believe it's one of the most important questions that we can ask ourselves is do we love ourselves? And that question came up for me for the first time, surprisingly, just when I was 36 years old. Uh, it took a long time for me to first ask that question, uh, what I would consider a long time. And there was a surprising just crickets when I asked myself, mm. oh, oh, I don't know. I'm going to have to dig and see. Um and I guess rather than a yes or a no, what I came up with was uh, there's a lot of examining to do. And in the process of examining, the love reveals itself. So the more I look at it, the more I see the love that was there. And I also acknowledge how much I had 
uh, ignored it in the past mm. through feeding into behaviors and uh, ways of being that didn't that wasn't loving to myself and, and to others. Yeah, and so and and then also what lands with me too about what you said was uh, finding that to then love others is um, I do believe that's the path as well is there's uh, it's coming it's coming from a source of of love that I'm familiar with rather than um, a codependent approval situation where I'm doing this okay cool I got my reward okay I'm a good boy you know now it's more like okay I have this self approval self reward system um and now from that place i can give without needing that little pellet of of food back you know like a, i don't know i have this vision of like a hamster you know when i'm talking about this but um yeah that's where i'm at with it beautiful when Hmm. My, I'll, I have a first reaction and then, and then a little bit of a response. My, my first reaction is, is always the love I have for my, and that's felt very much between my dog, my dog Dracula. I just said his name, his head popped up. And hmm. Part of the, the the beauty of the the love that you have with an animal is that it is received usually by very graciously. Like that's right, pet me. I'll receive your love. Like how beautiful it is to have your love received, right? Um, and then that's my initial reaction. And then I love the word love, and it's a sloppy word. Right, because just as much as I love my dog, I love coffee in the morning, and I love being able to have a warm blanket and a cold night, and just like I love the smell of fresh ocean breeze, and just like I love when someone else takes the garbage out, you know? And so like we have just like one sloppy word for love. Mm -hmm. In the Eastern tradition, there's tons of different words for love. And I, I really admire that language that way. Um, so the other, the, the last thing I'll say is like, it's a three-part answer is the, that big, love that um, I, I have felt time and time again in the in the moments where I was I allowed myself to surrender to something like the love of Neem Karoli Baba whether it be mm, in a moment of just like oh that's that's that or in a moment in the, in a presence of someone like Ramdas oh that's that or in a moment of just like letting that be that in that moment, instead of having to get it from something. But sometimes those times of getting it from something, you know, shakes, shakes it up a little bit. You know, we can be kind of callous. Like you keep, you were saying a lot, Jordana, about like the psychedelic sort of thing that's been happening. And 
it reminds me a lot of the first experiences many people have with psychedelics where it does shake us up for a moment and we're like what the fuck pardon me but um like it's that moment of being like whoa this is not what i thought it thought it was Mm -hmm. right so there's something that like clears the the heart you know so we can experience something um a little bit more vibrant or a little bit deeper or a little bit more loving um Anyway, that's a long, that's, that's where I, that's where I'm at with that. <laughs> Thanks for turning those questions on that. <laughs> I love that. There, I mean, there's so much in, in what you just said. Um, like f- the first thing that I, I want to comment on, if you don't mind, is just like the idea of the messiness of love. Mm. Um, I like that so much. And I think that's a lot of where the, where my like self-love work is going um, in that, can I, can I love myself when I'm messy um, so that I can love other people also when they're messy? Um, yeah. Love, I did a, a panel with BJ Miller, who is somebody who um, lost three limbs because um, he got electrocuted. He has this wild story. He's a palliative care uh, physician. And he was he was talking about like, can we love when like people smell bad? Can we love when, um, you know, they're like, they're their worst selves, right? Um, and at a time when the world is so messy and our lives are, and our psyches are responding to that, I think accordingly of like disorientation and uh, confusion and lostness and parts of the self that are coming out to cope with, with how challenging this time is. Can we meet ourselves fully? like with love, with that sort of like oceanic love that you're describing too, of being in the presence. Can we be our own Ram Dass? <laughs> sort of what I'm saying. Like, can we sink into the that oceanic feeling of love within ourselves so that the giving and receiving flows? But what that takes, and I think this is also uh, something you said, it's like there's a degree of surrender that is necessary right now. Um, that is so hard when we're feeling afraid um, and also sort of like the the only way, <laughs> the only way to cope without making it worse. Mm. I, I love, <laughs> I'm just gonna keep, I'm gonna beat that word. I'm gonna beat that word to death. <laughs> uh, you saying, can you love someone when, when they're smelly? You yeah. know, like <laughs> it's such an, it's a, it, to, and, and also, if you are in a moment where something is smelly and you're just like, ah, just get me, to not then spank yourself about it, mm-hmm. right? Like, you, I can't believe, you know, it, it, <laughs> like we are allowed, we are human. We're allowed to be messy and and screw up and and love ourselves even in our most screwed upness. And I love, I want to share a story if I can, when I, I was doing work uh, at Mother Traces in, in Calcutta. And I mean, talk about a smelly place. You know, this is like the house for the destitute and the dying. Mm-hmm. And sometimes death does not smell good. 
I mean, book, and if you're in LA, go down to Skid Row, mm. you know, and, and love someone or feed someone out there who is just like some of the most awful smells. I mean, there's, it's the fact that people live like this and that we haven't figured out how, how to do something is a whole other thing, but what we can do is love them and love them no matter what it is that they've done to get there. You know, so like my time at, at, at Mother Teresa's, I mean, I, there were plenty of times where I was just like, this is so gnarly. Like, where, where do I, where do I meet this? Right. Where one day I might be really, you know, turned off by a certain, like a someone's smell, but then the next day I, I can push myself and say, okay, like, let me, let me practice holding this person's hand and I can sit with something a little bit uncomfortable today. Mm-hmm. And then the next day that uncomfortableness is, isn't so uncomfortable anymore. Mm-hmm. And like you're saying in this, this time, we're all in an uncomfortable, you know, stinky situation. And um, I could go on and on about, about my time there and some of the some of the gnarly situations, but we'll, we'll kind of pause, we'll pause there. (laughs) So when it comes to, we're talking a lot about this foundation that we're building inside of ourselves and to bring it back, Jordana, to your particular, to your research, what is this doing for us when it comes to death? What is what doing like this building that? Right. Yeah. We're spending a lot of time learning how to love ourselves, how to give love, how to receive love. Yeah. What's it doing for us when it comes to death? I, I would say that the process of really working towards loving yourself and the the messiness and the stinkiness, like literally and metaphorically, the full, the full range is a process by which you're surrendering to your humanity uh, and humans die. <laughs> so far. So far. So far they die. So far the death rate is a hundred percent. There's like an onion, uh, uh, like cartoon about that, right? Like death rate is at a hundred percent. Like it's inevitable. Um, people are working really hard to make that not the case, but until I hear otherwise, yeah. um, being human means we die and it's our ultimate sort of like fallibility. I'm putting that in quotes, you know, as it's our ultimate flaw. Um, but it's, I think it's, it's a process of accepting, um, yeah, our humanity and the full range of our, our vulnerability with the number one vulnerability mm-hmm. being that we age. If we're lucky, we age, right? We decay and we die. So I think, I think it's, it's a spectrum, <laughs> like from accepting your, like for me right now, I'm, I'm living in a house with uh, four people who are absolutely wonderful. Um, but it's very hard for me to be around people all the time. <laughs> and I'm working on sort of accepting my, uh, like who I am in that 
sense like who I am in a group, like we were talking about right before we got on um, and my level of comfort and anxiety and just sort of sitting with all of it. And I think the process of surrendering to that is on just, is on the same spectrum of surrendering to, to our basic humanity, which means we'll, we'll die. It's just further to the left. Mm-hmm. If that connection makes sense, I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. When <laughs> I, I'm 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 wondering about it from like a clinical perspective about the you know processing all of this this death um, and how people are grieving right now. I'm I'm just I'm I'm trying to figure out how. Because you know, we're we're grieving so many things, right? We're grieving the the you know some people like the loss of money, the loss of jobs, the you know the loss of you know family members. Mm-hmm. Um, is is that changing right now for you, or is it like is it increasing? Are you seeing more people? And um, Am I seeing more people struggling with that or am I? Yeah. Like, or, or like when you work with people, are, are you seeing a lot of people come for you about grief work and like, are people like looking at their lives and just being like, what, what did I do? Like, how do I, how do I mourn this past of me? Cause even like if you do it, I'll, I'll go back to that death awareness meditation. Like sometimes there's there's a, a moment in that when you're like, what did I just do up until now? And then you had this realization and you have to almost mourn all of that stuff you maybe even worked for that you realize isn't something that is very important anymore. Yes. <laughs> like a big yes. And I, I, I feel like all of therapy right now my own and therapy I'm doing with patients. It's like, it's all grief work. I mean, pretty much like it always is, but it's just so apparent right now. Uh, People letting go of the old um, and trying to build the new, but there's a lot of obstacles uh, to building that new uh, for people right now. Like we're very, many of us are very stuck and I mean, I, I wrote a little bit about this in an article, but it really does feel like a, a collective dark night of the soul for mm-hmm. many people. Like we're really in that space of um, letting go and shedding our, our past skin. But I think because of the world sort of grinding to a halt, it's been very hard to build that new self back up. So we're just sort of sitting here. Many of us are sitting here. Um, at which point there's tremendous opportunity to do internal work, but we have to keep coming back to the self um, and, and looking inside rather than outside because outside, not that much is changing. And it's sort of, I mean, a lot is changing, but for many people um, it's just a day-to-day monotony. So um, it's actually a particularly fruitful time for, for psychotherapy and work and, and sitting in that, that messiness and that unknown and that grief space. 
Um, but it's definitely challenging. Mm-hmm. So a quick follow-up. Yeah. Even Tom was talking about this when we got on, like the, the pace of your own self-reflectiveness mm-hmm. or, if, you know, you're like, imagine there's a bunch of people listening to this. Like what, what can people do while we are sitting inside, you know, like we have all this time and most of us are just like scrolling and whatever it is like zooming. I I don't know. Like, like, is there any practice or technique, even if it's something really small or, or simple that, that can help people? I mean, the the first thing that comes to mind is like is meditation right this is such a tremendous opportunity to to start or revisit or deepen uh one's meditation practice like we have so much time to just sit right if we can use it to really be embodied and present uh we can emerge from this time so much more grounded um, and in ourselves and finding um, finding that sense of self that exists beyond the external, right? Um, so I, I mean, I'm, I'm recommending that a lot to people. And I also, I, you know, a little bit more dynamically, um, if, if sitting is, is really challenging, even though I think that that is the thing that could be most helpful for most of us is like our minds are still we it's up to us to still uh have a very active mind and imagination and fantasy and uh fantasy life and we can still learn so much right now we can still read and we can still write um we can still expand but it it's it's sort of also like we were talking about before, like it's up to us and it's that self-discipline now um, of, of saying, okay, this is my life and my time. It's up to me to create meaning out of it. That's right. So given the limitations I have, how do I make this a meaningful time for, mm. for myself? The answer for me would be meditating a lot and reading a lot. Mm. And when I do, the more that I do that during this time, the more I feel sort of alive and the less I feel that sort of dull monotony or that I'm just waiting for uh, what's next for this to end. It's a horrible feeling. Yeah. I have this, um, I have this uh, judgment sometimes about the number of books that I've wrapped during this, you know, like I've just, um, I keep, or I, I've thought several times, what is all of this reading really going to do to me, do for me at the end of the day? Um, mm-hmm. However, there is something, it reminded me of a story of my grandmother, and this was a big game changer for me recently. So my grandmother, um, during her last several years, she she uh, dropped her body, as, as they say, in um, the summer last year. And, uh, it was during COVID and I wasn't able to see her before she passed away. Um, and she had been advancing in her her Alzheimer's for about six or seven years before she passed over the last three or four years. Every time I saw her, we would 
be talking. And then she would come to this point in the conversation where she would tell this story about the time that she fell in the garage and she hurt herself. And later down the road, she would tell the story and she couldn't really quite get the words right about what exactly happened. But there was this sentiment of life was good. And then this thing happened. And now it's not. And that was the central story that she had boxed herself into for the last three or four years of her life. And knowing my grandmother and how powerful, strong, optimistic, but also real she was with the world, it was so sad to me to watch her trapped in this particular moment about this is when life went from good to bad. Mm -hmm. And then I realized that I was doing this actually here right now. Mm. I was going back to 2019 and I'm like, oh, 2019. Wow. This was happening. This was so good. My career was so good. Um, I, I had, you know, some of the best community experiences in my life. All of these brilliant opportunities blossoming so much blooming and harvesting in 2019. And then COVID and then post COVID, it's not good anymore. And what ha I realized, you know, after eight or nine months of sitting in this space of waiting, okay, is it over yet? I realized that I had been, I had been, I boxed myself in. I couldn't be, it couldn't be a good life. I wasn't allowing it. So when I gained that realization, yeah, all of a sudden, <laughs> you know, wow, there actually are so many opportunities here waiting for me. I can learn a lot. I can read books that actually will matter when this is over, you know, or whether it ends or not, but um, ends, you know, right. We don't know. We don't know what it's going to look like. Um, but it is important to allow ourselves the opportunity for things to be good. Like, are we giving ourselves that? Hmm. Tom, can you share grandma's name? Dorothy. All right, Dorothy. Thanks, Dorothy. Hmm. She's a beautiful soul. She set the fire alarm off in, uh, in the house I was in here in California when she passed in Ohio. Uh, on her way out, the fire alarm went off and I turned it off. There was no smoke. It was four in the morning. I turned it off and then I went back to the room and it went off again. And I went down there and <laughs> turned it off again. And in the three months that we were there, that's the only time it went off and there was no, my, my mom called me, my mom called me three hours later and she's like, Hey, I just want to make sure you were awake, but I wanted to let you know your grandma passed away earlier. And I was like, yeah, I know <laughs> she came, she came by. beautiful story mm, thank you i i so want to sit with that for mm -hmm. a second and i want to ask Jordana one more at least one more little question before um before we have to eventually wrap this up um shifting gears a little bit it's probably a little bit snarky of me um not towards you i'll say that i have noticed a, a quite a lot of 
Mm, I don't even know what they would be called. Maybe coaches or um, I guess coaches. I'm not even sure, but like we're, we're seeing so many of this like meme culture come on and all coaches selling courses that are like sidestepping the, all of the work that you've done not just you, but your community as a whole and selling people like a course, you sign up, pay $3,000 and your past traumas are healed. Or here's this quick little meme to explain something in, in your world that I, I think doesn't do it justice. Do you, have you, has this come up on your radar a bit? It, it definitely, it definitely has, you know, I, I think the, the less cynical self in me says, you know, everyone's just looking to heal Mm -hmm. Um, and everyone, and that's trending. Healing is trending. (laughs) So that's, that's ultimately a good thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I also, feel um like people need different different things people can afford different things and people need different things and i'm i'm grateful that there are so many ways for people to um connect and to look deeply at themselves you know even if it's just a meme or it's something on instagram like i still am like yes that is um out there that's what people are like reposting right Mm. now like it's better than the alternative it's better than like crap out there like some of it it it's meaningful and and good um but yeah i it's it's challenging. I mean, I went to school for six years to do this work. Um, and so I don't, I don't know. I, I think that there are some people for whom that's really important when they come to see me, that they want to feel like I have been in academia and, um, have been trained for a long time. And for some people that's, that's less important. I really, there's enough people in, in need to go around is yeah. sort of how I feel. And people find, find the, the, the healers, the therapists, um, you know, that I think are the best fit for them. Hmm. Well said. Yeah. I, I thank you for saying that. Cause I oftentimes am, you know, and not even someone who is, you know, I've, I have barely any school, you know, like, I'm, I'm surprised I made it through college, you know, but, but I, I do appreciate the work when, when people, you know, study and, and, um, it's always interesting to me when I see something like heal your past traumas with, you know, a six week coaching course. And it's like, well, yeah, um, it's beautiful that there are different healing modalities out there and people are looking, um, but those, those sort of false hopes, it's, it's again, like mm, not telling someone that they're terminally ill, right? What are we denying here? 
right? Is that going to cause more trauma in the end? But I'm supposed to be healed. Yeah. Or I'm not supposed to die, right? So that like the denial part of the whole thing. Yeah. And I think I agree with you in that. I think people can really take advantage of of other people's desire to heal and work through and make a lot of um, empty promises. Hmm. Um, but ultimately, I think that the reason why like, you know, school or not school or, you know, how much money something costs or a little, it costs like, I firmly believe that the, that healing happens most in the context of relationship. Hmm. So you can be, um, somebody that's, you know, never gone to school or, or that is a, you know, maybe did a six month coaching course and then, and work with people. And it's really much more about the connection that you have with whoever you're working with and how present and embodied I think you are. Um, and I think actually my PhD program misses that a lot of the time. Um, and we get so stuck in the academic and the conceptual that I'm like, that's not what really works here, guys. <laughs> right? Which sort of brings us full circle to what I was saying about some of my previous work that I want to do differently going forward, where I do think it was um, too heady. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's where real change occurs and where, where real healing occurs. So I think uh, the, the people doing this work that have figured that out are the ones that are probably going to be the most successful. Mm. Yeah. Beautiful answer. Thank, thanks for, thanks for that. I, I, I needed to hear that. <laughs> I, I think there's also something to, you know, that this, this is all part of the process too, that we find the lessons that we need to learn. Mm-hmm. And if the lesson we need to learn is that person can't fix my problems, or maybe I shouldn't trust somebody to tell me that I'm going to heal all of my trauma in six weeks, maybe that's the lesson that we need. Totally. And perhaps yeah. that's not, you know, the most, that's not the cleanest way to deliver that message, but maybe it's the way that it needs to be delivered to, to that particular person. Mm-hmm allowing for space for that too, which is hard because I feel, because I often get caught up in in what you're saying too, Matthew. So yeah, it's not easy. Yeah. Again, it's just go back to what I need to learn about that, but yeah, go ahead, Mm -hmm. Tom. Sorry to cut you off there. No worries. Yeah. Jordana, I was wondering if you wanted to um, bring us, bring us home with maybe sharing a poem or prose or anything that you wanted to kind of, wrap up the the session in a cute little bow for us sure um you know i found a friend of mine that's kind of long is that okay fine um a friend of mine found this poem um a few months ago this is is really about love but i i think that it obviously ties into death because they always it always does but i think Right now for me in thinking about love, specifically romantic love, I do think that this time in the last, you know, 10 months of this pandemic, like we were saying, brings into sharp focus what you really want and how important deep and meaningful connection is. I mean, we all know that intellectually, um, but then to really know that in your, in your heart um, and, 
and long for that, but maybe long for it in a, I find myself longing for connection in a different way than I ever have. Um, Hmm. Not in a more intense way than I ever have, but in a, I feel like I'm looking for something different now. And I think a lot of people are in most of their relationships. Um, So I just thought this was a really beautiful poem. Um, It's called The Invitation by Oriah Mountain Dreamer. Mm. Um, It doesn't interest me what you do for a living. I wanna know what you ache for and if you dare to dream of meeting your heart's longing. It doesn't interest me how old you are. I wanna know if you will risk looking like a fool for love, for your dream, for the adventure of being alive. It doesn't interest me what planets are squaring your moon. I wanna know if you have touched the center of your own sorrow, if you have been opened by life's betrayals or have become shriveled and closed from fear of further pain. I wanna know if you can sit with pain, mine or your own, without moving to hide it or fade it or fix it. I wanna know if you can be with joy, mine or your own, if you can dance with wildness and let the ecstasy fill you to the tips of your fingers and toes without cautioning us to be careful, to be realistic, to remember the limitations of being human. It doesn't interest me if the story you are telling me is true. I wanna know if you can disappoint another to be true to yourself if you can bear the accusation of betrayal and not betray your own soul, if you can be faithless and therefore trustworthy. I wanna know if you can see beauty even when it's not pretty every day. And if you can source your own life from its presence. I wanna know if you can live with failure, yours and mine, and still stand at the edge of a lake and shout to the silver of, to the sliver of the moon, yes. It doesn't interest me to know where you live or how much money you have. I wanna know if you can get up night after the night of grief and despair, weary and bruised to the bone and do what needs to be done to feed the children. It doesn't interest me who you know or how you came to be here. I want to know if you will stand in the center of the fire with me and not shrink back. It doesn't interest me where or what or with whom you have studied. I want to know what sustains you from the inside when all else fails away. I want to know if you can be alone with yourself and if you truly like the company you keep in the empty moments. Sorry, I have... (laughs) Give me one second because I lit a candle and it's a little out of control right now. <laughs> I'll be right back. I love it. Our first a, um, beautiful reading. And then I thought I heard like a bit of a yeah, crack. I wonder if that was the candle I cracking think- the. Okay. I blew it out. <laughs> that the sirens are going to come for you next. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what that was, but like the candle just, um, like the glass popped. I heard that. I heard, I heard that. The, 
Yeah. And out of the corner of my eye, I just saw this flame. I'm like, is it your grandma? Could be. <laughs> Could be. I'm like, who just appeared during that poem? Mm. Cool. Yeah. So a little, a little long. I don't know if you guys. Oh, no, that's beautiful. Yet. I love that that's poem. Both the past few times we've had calls um, at the end, there's always some little twinkle of mysticism that's that's crept into these calls. So that's really cool that that happened. As yeah. long as you know, no no fire happened. Or something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was getting a little close there. So. <laughs> well, Tra- Tradana, thank you. I mean, this is this is awesome. Um, I hope we can keep in touch and. Um, you, are you working on any, like a new book or something? Is that what you're, are you working on something? Like what's anything coming up you want to announce? Um, a website? You know, I'm, I'm going to be relaunching my website in the next few months. Um, and I think it's with that premise of trying to figure out like where I really want to take this work and, and by proxy, like my life next. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> So I'm still in that. I'm in that in-between time too. And I'm not sure yet what's coming, but I'm going to, I do feel something is and that I'm going to like integrate and use um, all of the rich stuff that's coming up right now to figure out um, what I want to say next. Yeah. So no, there's not much yet. (laughs) (laughs) Well, keep us posted, and when something does come up, we will um, we'll make sure to include it in the in the text for the for the episode. Great. Okay. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. Thank you so much. Thanks for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. See ya. Thanks everyone for tuning in and listening. We're really excited to have Jordana on. Uh, What a pleasure speaking with her. For any information on her work, you can check out our show notes. Next episode, we have Bob Dotto, who we will be talking to uh, and getting into his book, Sitting with Spirits. If you can, please like us, follow us on social media, On Death Podcast. If you can go to Apple Podcasts, and write a review. That'd be super cool. If you want to throw us a couple bucks, you can go to buy me a coffee slash on death. Uh, any comments, questions, you can also email us on death podcast at gmail.com. Um, that's what we got for you, Tom. You want to take us, take us out today? Yeah, absolutely. And please share it too. tell the world, put us out there. So yeah, just to close us out here and send us off back into the world after such a beautiful conversation. We'll just, uh, we'll just notice our breath and just notice your breath leaving and knowing that the next one may not be guaranteed. And this is death. And then as the breath comes back, oh, how beautiful to fill all of your cells with life. And this is life. And we'll see you next time on death. Bye. Mm-hmm.